Anybody know what a Jimmy Cagney love scene is? Hmm? It's where Cagney lets the good guy live. <laughs> and if that happens in this show, I'm gonna do a lot more than ask for my money back. Let's kill this mother. Go. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Good, Ryan. How are you doing? I am doing okay. I'm actually, you know, I'm actually very excited. I, I'm very, very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm grinning as I'm speaking about mm. this because we're doing our podcast. But this isn't just any old film discussion podcast. We're talking a Paul Giamatti film, and that means it's a special occasion. We only get, we only take Paul out of the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> we only dust we only dust him off once in a blue moon. We savor Paul Giamatti now. Anyone listening to this do not acknowledge the Truman Show episode. Do no. not. Well, that was a special occasion it as was, well yeah. though. Like we 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 really went in on the on the Giamatti factor. Um if he was a Pokemon, what Pokemon would Giamatti be? Paul. No, no, no. What Pokemon would he be? <laughs> um Would he be Geodude? For some reason, I was thinking Graveler, actually. So we were both on the rock type for some reason. You know why? It's the Gia in Giamatti. <laughs> Even though, in all honesty, he would be fucking Snorlax, and we all know that to be the truth. He's a very... He's a very I don't know. He's a very big and, and, and lumberous and, and sleepy guy. Out of the closed eyes, I just don't see it. It's him when he's fully stood up. Mm. Because isn't that the thing in the Pokemon games where it's his sprite is him slowly getting up? That's what it's... Yeah, I've seen that's, that image. That's the mythos. Yeah. But, but Ryan, specifically we should be saying that even though this is like the 307th episode, when we did our 300th episode, we said that, you know, because of lockdowns, we're not doing the traditional, you know, 100 milestone celebration. We're going to save that for... You know, the future when we can get a special someone on and a special type of film. Obviously, we've got the Paul G. Mighty film. Yeah. And we've got the special someone who we'll introduce soon. So this is our sort of official milestone celebration episode. 300th Redux edition. Yes. Where it's the better edition of Apocalypse Now. And so... (laughs) Because you know that, right? Apocalypse Now Redux is the appreciated version of Apocalypse Now. That's I've seen the film, but I I think I watched Redux. I don't know the difference. But I do know that we have a guest on, a special guest. Uh, What what did we... We have a few names for this guest. There was... Is it Wet Wild Will? Wet Wild Will's the one that we go with. Wet... (laughs) I don't even fully remember the context of why we came up with that, but... It was Mystery Box and we wanted alliteration. Our good friend Billy Bob is here. Billy Bob Wet Wild Will is in the room. We haven't seen him in a while. We've specially saved aside a Paul Giamatti classic film, Shoot 'Em Up, for Will to come on and talk to us about Hello... Wet, wild, Billy Bob Will. Hey, hey. He said, hey, hey. Greetings, guests. The fine china is coming out, and the fine china is Paul Giamatti. And yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that he said greeting guests when he's the guest. (laughs) Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Listening people. It's been a while, listening people. It's been a while. He's been on mute the entire time we've recorded episodes. (laughs) I've just had to be hiding in the house, waiting for my time. He was in, He was with the Giamatti in the cabinet. We dust them off at the same time. 
So we are doing the film Shoot 'Em Up, which was from 2007, wasn't it? Yep. I believe. Yep. Yes. This came out in an interesting time in all of the actors' involved career, in which it was straight after or just quite after. Uh, um, an important moment in each one of their film careers. Paul Giamatti, Cinderella Man. He was doing Cinderella Man. Then he did this, and then he did The Nanny Diaries, which we've often talked about how one day we'll do The Nanny Diaries on this show, in which he plays a creep called Mr. X, which sounds like (laughs) Mr. Sex, which I'm... I'm super keen, but we're not doing the Nanny Diaries. We're doing Shoot 'em Up with lead actor, Children of Men himself, Clive Owen. Who, whatever happened to Clive Owen? Did did um Gerard Butler just take his spot? Because it seems like those two actors are those like British, UK, wherever they're from, actors that fill a certain auburn-haired, grizzly-looking, accented man role. What happened to Clive Owen, Will? Dry Butler ate him. He he ate him? To get his power. He ate, like, the bone marrow to gain his power. <laughs> it, was a, it was a tribal ritual. It was a tribal ritual. Bartek, Clive Owen, where's he gone? Um, I think maybe there's some other podcast out there that's, like, equivalent to us who have him in their closets. Maybe they've just... You think? Maybe they're just delaying on their 200th episode and he's just waiting. Should we have teamed up with them for this one in which we brought our Giamatti toy out and they brought their Warren toy out and they just mash them together like a Voltron machine and they become this ultimate movie called Shoot 'em Up? Well, we'd win the fight because we're at 300. And Giamatti's a impressive figure. Should we have done 300 for the 300th episode? No, because Giamatti's yeah. not in it. Yeah, that's true. If <laughs> We did confessions. <laughs> if Giamatti was in 300, who would he be? I haven't seen the film. Obviously, he would be Xerxes, Xerxes the, the evil bad guy with all of the piercings. With all his bling. With all of his bling. And uh, who was played by, in Meet the Spartans, he would pl- he was played by Borat's friend. And Borat, you know, the, the big oh, fat Oh, Azamat, yeah. <laughs> Azamat. In, in, the, um, in that movie. But let's talk about Shoot 'em Up. If people have not seen Shoot 'em Up, we recommend you do. We are spoiling Shoot 'em Up. I know it's an intense film with numerous amounts of details in the plot. So if people have not seen Shoot 'em Up, watch it because we are talking about it. Let's get into our histories with this feature film, Shoot 'em Up. Bartek, wh- where, 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 where have you been? Because I imagine you've never seen this film before. I have not. Where have you been? Um. I've been at home, and I have access to a lot, but at the time, I didn't have- Do you? Do you have access to- (laughs) What's that supposed to mean? Because you don't have shoot-em-up. I have to question question your accessibility at home if you actually do have that much. Yes, if only you let me finish my sentence. Genius. I had access to a lot- but I didn't have Stan, the Australian <laughs> streaming service Stan. Today, I have Stan, so I could watch Shoot 'em Up. Did you get it today? No, I've had it for a little while. So you've had no excuse then? Well, we haven't picked it for the show. We haven't had the 300th episode. How long have you had Stan? 
I think since after our two hundred, so obviously I was waiting. The first okay, film, I the first film I watched for it was uh, "She's the Man." I won't get angry because that wastes precious chemicals to make myself smart. I'll talk about my history. Well, the chemical makes you dumb, but yeah. <laughs> but but if I don't have it, then I'm smart boy. There must be some counter chemicals. Yeah, it must be some counter chemicals. Here's here's what I'm gonna say. My history with this film has been a complicated history. I actually owned this on DVD at one point. There was a friend of uh, of the podcast back in the day, went to his house, and he had in his lounge room stacks and stacks and stacks of DVDs. And he was just throwing them away. He had decided, I'm no longer a movie guy, I'm a video game guy. You know, those type of people who are like, I've changed my identity, so I get rid of all of the old things that tied me back to my own personality that I've displayed. And he said, do you want some DVDs and he chucked in he forced upon shoot him up and I looked at the cover and I just went what's this and I didn't even see Paul Giamatti on the cover he was so small yeah he's in the corner right? he's in like the bottom corner like a mouse yeah and he doesn't look like the villain he looks like the, the like the nerdy guy yeah I thought he was like a sidekick <laughs> I thought he was like the tech guy <laughs> and so but then if you look at the cover he's holding a sniper rifle so what was I thinking but but I saw this and I went, okay, I'll put it in the collection. And then this friend came to the house one day and he did a big no-no, which is he had regretted giving away his DVDs. But he didn't want to say that he regretted it. And he looked at my DVDs and he literally pointed to shoot him up. Just just pointed at it and tutted and said, wow, I can't believe you took it. And I just went, okay, take it back. And he took it back, and I've never seen shoot him up until this day today when I've been watching for this podcast. So I was winding you up, Bartek, about not having the ability, but like I have not seen it till this moment, but I've had a relationship. Ah, it was a setup. It was a setup to a payoff. A dramatic payoff. Will, come and tell us what is your relationship with shoot him up. Oh, I feel a little... Uh dejected now because that was just such a good story ryan my one's not really very interesting was mine good um i I, i'd give it a six out of ten it was all right um my history my history with this oh i'm gonna get (laughs) i'm gonna get ripped apart my one's not even a three out of ten don't get mad bartek it will make you dumb it'll lower your iq bartek the the phlegmodrenum okay okay let's hear the story though just waiting he's just waiting in ambush um this was like this was probably like 2018 maybe 2019 i'm at my mate oliver's house and i think he i'm like 95 percent sure he's got stand up mm-hmm. and we're doing that thing we often do where we can't decide what movie to watch and we've been browsing through the catalog like an hour and then eventually you just pick one basically yeah. you just force yourself you quickly just grab one and it's like yeah we'll just watch this and we watch like it. we did with laquisha Oh, no, no, they desperately don't want you to do that with Laquisha. Yeah, Amazon <laughs> Prime, like, hides it. You've got to put in every letter. Yeah, yep. Um, but, yeah, no, it's not really that complicated. Like, yeah, like, a couple years ago, we just happened to watch it, watched it, and then it's like, yeah, that was all right, yeah, that was okay. It was fine? You didn't get bowled over by it? I mean, I like I like Paul Giamatti. We all I'll watch Paul. a movie for Paul Giamatti. So since this was a couple of years ago, after you'd already done this podcast a few times, when you watched the Paul Giamatti performance that first time... <laughs> oh, wait, first, Bartek, what would you rate that story? 
You know, it wasn't too great, but it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I'd, I'd listen to it again, okay. to be honest. Skip back 30 seconds. <laughs> so, so when you saw Paul all those years ago, this was after you'd covered Big Fat Liar with us. Mm-hmm. Did you? Or, yeah, I think you might have already done Lady in the Water with us around. You say twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Might have been twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. I can't quite remember. the The last two years have felt. It might very have been a long. bit before. Okay, so yeah. you've had Big Fat Liar under you about at least. Yeah. And so when you watched Giamatti in this movie, did you think to yourself, "I'm being a naughty boy and not watching this with the boys for the podcast"? I did a me. I think. I I think I even meant to like oh I should tell the guys to watch this I don't know if that was supposed to be Paul Giamatti there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did Academy Award nominee Paul Giamatti just enter the booth? Did Cinderella Man himself Paul Giamatti enter the Did He was Big dusted Fat, off. Did Big Fat Mama's House Liar enter the room and tell us his amazing Thunderpants like story? Oh that's a good point. You also had Big Fat Li- the Big Mama's House under your belt then. Did, yeah, mi- did Mr. House. Sex and whoever he played in <laughs> Lady in the Water just come into the apartment building? Did Twelve Years a Slave just come? <laughs> did did uh did Drek enter the room? Because he was Drek, right? Yeah, Ratchet the, and did non Kevin Michael Richardson Drek just come I in? That, <laughs> I did unpaid Paul Giamatti as Drek enter the room because you remember that story, right? In 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 Ratchet and Clank, Wait, the they movie, didn't pay him. They sent because they originally had Kevin Michael Richardson cast and doing the voice, and then they kicked him off the project. With no with no word of warning to replace him with Paul Giamatti, that was another reason why people didn't really care for the movie. And then they sent the paycheck for that performance of Paul Giamatti to Kevin Michael. <laughs> they still had him on the payroll thing, and they sent it to him instead of Paul Giamatti. And Kevin Michael Richardson had to drive over to Paul Giamatti's place and give it to him. So you, I'm, I'm stunned. You're stunned. <laughs> we have done Ratchet and Clank the movie for the podcast. <laughs> so you saw this performance. You were obviously aroused, blown away, but mm-hmm. you didn't feel the need to tell us the boys of the pod. I feel like I did, but I can't remember, so I probably didn't. I feel like after watching, I'm like, oh, I should, I should tell the guys to watch this. To watch this film, shoot him up. It's got Paul Giamatti as like the crazy zany villain, you know? Maybe this is right up there, Ellie. And it's like, I should have done that. And I feel like I did, but I can't remember the specifics. It feels like something you would have done. So I probably didn't do it. So now hearing about his his ongoing redemption arc in his story about how he didn't tell us and now he's redeeming himself by joining us in the discussion, how would you rate his story? You know, it's going in the direction of Terminator 2. I think it's getting better. I'm... Interesting you said Terminator 2, because it made me feel like I was watching an arc in an anime unfold. And it's that part of the anime in which they're about to lift the rock up, like the big boulder that's blocking the wall from the Titan. And I feel like that's where we're at. And will the Titan fight be amazing or not? We'll have to find out by the end of the episode of this podcast. But The I... Titan being Jesus, right? Giamatti. So, ah, Jesus Marty. <laughs> Jesus Marty. <laughs> so, if Giamatti... No, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I watched this last night, and I was blown away. Truly blown away. I knew nothing going in, other than it was an action movie where Paul Giamatti had to handle the gun for the first ever time in his career, mm-hmm. and that's all I knew. I knew Clive Owen was in it, 
And I look at Clive Owen, because of Children of Men and a few other things, as respectable, unappreciated actor Clive Owen. The working man's actor. He seems like an everyday guy type of guy. And so I watch this, and his li- it's hard to describe this, but the, 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 the color palette and the contrast of the shot of him sitting on that bench, before he even grabs out the carrot, told me what type of movie I was in for, before he even killed that guy with the carrots, and it went immediately into Crank 2 territory. Just the color palette and the high contrast on Clive Owen's face, and then the absurdity of seeing the crying pregnant woman and a guy crashing, even before that, just that alone, the contrast and the color... I sat back and went, oh, it's going to be one of these movies, huh? And then it was. And then we got Paul Giamatti. And I did not think he was going to be the villain. I didn't realize there was going to be... I didn't realize he was going to be the bad guy. I thought he was going to be the the, the nerd tech genius guy that he would have to come to. Or like his schlubby accountant yeah, I or thought, something like that. I thought he was going to be a bit more like um, Steve Buscemi in Desperado. Like, yes. He's like the kind of dweeby guy that's friends with the badass and like would like be the, the wisecracking one that like talks him up or something. And then yeah. they die halfway through and it motivates the hero to be even better. But Paul Giamatti said, fucking no, guys. I've been on a streak of doing acclaimed movies. I want to do a bad guy role again like I did in Big Fat Liar. <laughs> And I, yeah, I didn't lose it at the carrot being shoved through the guy's head. That was like, okay, this is fine. But I lost it very early on when when Paul Giamatti spoke in this fucking bizarre accent. And he's like, it only works with a thumb pinching and it's my thumb. And I'm like, what is, is he trying to audition for the penguin? I don't know what he's doing. And yet I loved every single choice he made. And the biggest, like the big laugh in the first act was when he ran past the pregnant woman who had been shot in the head and her tit is hanging out. And he says like, nice bear knockers, knockers. Nice knockers. <laughs> nice knockers. And he runs up. And like, oh, oh, the thing that really completes that is like, ah, nice knockers. And he keeps going up the stairs and then he looks back briefly and then keeps going up the stairs. That's the bit where it's like, yes, Paul, you fucking nailed it. Perfect. Academy Award nominee, Paul Giamatti. It's your moment, son. I loved it. As soon as Paul entered the movie, and I kept saying throughout the movie, we've got more Paul. We need more Paul action. This is... I would have to say, and this is a bold claim, and Bartek, you'll tell me in a moment your history, like what you thought of this movie, And but, but uh, I hope you can answer this first. Is this the greatest Paul Giamatti performance we've seen on the podcast since Marty Wolf? I would say so, yes. Is it better than Marty Wolf? That's a difficult one to answer because both of them are those are like the two iconic villain roles like yeah <laughs> that that he that we've had with him because two of them have been heroic no don't put that nuance into it Bartek. just leave it as like those are the two iconic villain roles um that, that's actually true yeah because two of them have been uh you know heroic uh Truman show he was like a schlubby nerd. Yeah, but he was, like, associated with the villain. But he was a good guy. And he was a good guy. 
<clears throat> with Marty Wolf, he was like the the kids movie villain who's like very over the top, and in this one, he's the R-rated high impact violence villain. Is this Marty Wolf after Big Fat Liar, and he entered a life of crime? He was. I I won't take the words from your mouth. Continue on with your Paul Giamatti <laughs> journey and what you thought of this film. Well, look, there is that whole notion that like, oh, the villains are always more interesting than the heroes. This is villainous Paul Giamatti. We haven't seen this since episode one of the podcast, so it was quite a trip. I wanted to cry when he died because I thought you can't legitimately. I was devastated when he died because I thought you can't. I actually said out loud, "You can't do that." At the end, yeah, when he died, at the I end, had, I had, I was like, "You can't do that," because I had become so endeared to Paul Giamatti. <laughs> at that, not the character, to Paul Giamatti, <laughs> fucking having a blast. And when he died, I thought, "Yeah, we oh, haven't man, seen. Yeah, Paul we haven't Giamatti. seen him die. No, we haven't seen him die. That's true. But but when he died in the film." A little part of my monkey brain just went, Aw, Paul Giamatti, the actor, that means that his journey on this film ended. Like, a part of me is like, I wish Paul Giamatti was doing this film all of his life because he seems to be having the most amount of of fun I've ever seen. He's having more fun in this role than he is as Marty Wolf. Marty Wolf is him having fun in what can I get away with in a kid's movie? This is what can I get away with after being nominated for an Academy Award <laughs> performance? And I'm not saying he norbited himself, where Eddie Murphy did norbit straight after being nominated for an Academy Award, but you know, it's close. It's close. I, I didn't have it when he died at the end because, you know, it's, it's a film villain. It's probably go- in this kind of film, the villain is going to die at the end gruesomely. Yes. Um, but I had it 22 minutes into the film where, like, you thought that he died. <gasps> yeah. I was, worried. I was legitimately like, fuck this movie if he's dead. Like, <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not joking. It was just like, we picked this film because of Paul Giamatti. If he's only in 22 minutes of this 100 minute f- film, then it's like, What's going to happen? And if this was like Thunderpants, where that movie never pretended like Paul Giamatti was a big player, he was just a little minor role, then you'd forgive it, right? Yeah. But if the movie baited and switched on you that he was this antagonist and then, bam, he's gone, you, we we would never be able to get on board for the movie. Yeah. And there's been movies like that in, in action and others where they introduce this villainous figure or just this... Legendary character actor, <clears throat> Godzilla 2014 with Brian Cranston, for example, mm-hmm. where they introduce them in the first 15 to 20 minutes and then they get killed off and then you're following something else. And you're like, why am I even invested? You've lost me. You, I was sold on this, not just for the marketing, but like, we didn't know anything about Shoot 'em Up. We just knew, oh, it has Paul Giamatti. And, you know, I didn't even think he was going to be a big role in the movie. I just thought, well, it'd be fun to see Paul again in an action film. I want to see that. But when you watch that movie and he walks in with this, like, <laughs> it's almost like a yes and kind of improv scene where, where it's like, a scene's happening and he walks in and goes, yes, guys, and I'm in the movie too. <laughs> like, he really comes out of nowhere. When he first enters, he's like, oh, fuck, Paul Giamatti's here now? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I Like what we, was, what we were saying before about like, oh, I thought it was a sidekick. I thought like it was like, oh, man, my, my buddy Clive Owen's in a jam again. I better like go, <laughs> you know, like ask him what's up. Oh, a dead body. Whoa, little comedy, comedy moment. 
<laughs> and then he's just like, who the fuck are you? I've got a thumb gun. And you're like, oh, he's antagonistic towards Clive Owen. I thought he was his, I thought he was going to be his friend. <laughs> I love that we both had that idea of like, no, he's not a villain. He's not the villain. I, I can't remember. I feel like the description I read at Stan on the time is like, oh, and the main bad guy is Paul Giamatti. So I don't, I didn't I get to come yeah, into this. I only, but, I only read know. the first line, which was like high impact violence. I'm like, oh, this is actually gonna be a really violent. But film. maybe I'm misremembering because it's been long mm. enough. Maybe it's because I've already watched it. I'm like, oh, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he is the bad guy in that. Maybe mm. I didn't know coming in. I yeah, well, we, we've got first impressions. So, so did yeah. you like the movie? I did. Outside of Paul, mm-hmm. did you love it? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I had a really good time with that. There were a lot of really. I wasn't expecting it to be such a, like, funny film after I became aware of, like, oh, this is, like, a really violent action-y film. It's going to be, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. But they have a lot of really goofy stuff in there that really tickled. If this was a Czechoslovakian film, how much would you love it? (laughs) It would be very different if it was a Czechoslovakian film, but I'd love it. Because there was one gag that felt straight out of Lemonade Joe. Where we find uh, our lead actress is a breastfeeding prostitute. Yes, a Dairy Queen. <laughs> is yes. that what they call? <laughs> no, that's where she ends up at the end. So, so she she is in her bordello, her boudoir, and we were shown like a shot that gave a like show that set up a gag, but I never even realized what they were showing us, which is. When Paul Giamatti is in the one scene with her where he threatens her, he keeps shooting her bottles of milk mm-hmm. that are all displayed there, and they're all, like, elaborate, erotic bottles of milk, baby bottles of milk, and that cracked me the fuck up, and I'm like, this is something that Lemonade Joe would have in there as a gag. <laughs> this is, like, one of the most absurd fucking things I've ever seen in my life. Like, this is after he stabbed so many people with carrots, and Paul Giamatti squeezed breast milk out of a corpse which we'll get to that. But that scene where he's, like, threatening her is like, the more I shoot it, the hotter it gets. <laughs> that voice of his. Will, you rewatch this. What was your journey like revisiting this and coming in for in the context of you're coming in for this podcast in which we all love to watch these movies with a positive outlook because it's podcast and we have fun together, but also... Paul Giamatti's like an old friend to us at this point. It's like, ah, oh, it's great to see our old Paul again. Oh, how's he doing? What was it like coming back to shoot him up? I think it's I think it's a film that's uh, very easily rewatchable. I thought it was... I think it's all right. I think it's good. And uh, I liked it the first time, and it had been long enough that as I'm rewatching it, I was, like, re-remembering things. It's like, oh, yeah, that happens, and oh, yeah, that happens. So, you know, getting laughing at certain bits again. And uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty smooth uh, transition. I think it held up well on a second watch. I did it. I didn't watch it on stand because I don't have that at the minute, and I my laptop doesn't have like the proper antivirus on it at the minute. So I'm like, ah, I won't do the put locker. And so I like <laughs> gave YouTube like five bucks, and they let you watch it mm-hmm. for like forty hours. And I'm like, yeah, that worked well. But the only the only thing I could complain about the you buy a you rent a movie on YouTube. Only thing I can complain, I went down to the comments being like, oh, yeah, no, there'll be some good stuff here. And it's like, no comments. Now, is that just like, 
are people not allowed to comment on the movies you rent or does like can i just not it's not allowed or did people just no one care maybe, enough maybe, about shoot them up maybe you were the first person to ever rent a film on youtube am i the, <laughs> am i the only man who's ever rented a film on youtube probably it doesn't seem I'm like the a only good man idea. who has youtube red known as premium nowadays I so I, I wanted to give that a go because I'm like yeah I'll do it it's only five bucks and it worked all right I liked that the film never pretended to be more than what it was which is we're going to just be shooting guns at one another and exchanging cheesy lines it never took itself too seriously everything was a gag or everything was a setup to an amazing amazing action sequence. This is a movie that allows the actors to play around. This is a movie that allows Clive Owen to do the usual badass guy with a gun action star thing, but also put a baby in a bulletproof vest and run around with a CG puppet baby. And I appreciated that. It allowed uh, Monica Bellucci to... Um, if Roger Ebert reviewed this movie, I feel like he, he would have had, uh, a, he, did he react like he did with Blue Velvet, in which it's like, she's sexually humiliating herself on screen, she's a talented lady. <laughs> did he do that? I, I didn't, I didn't read his full review, I only read one quote where he said, like, oh, you know, with a film that goes too far, I would criticize that, but this film goes so beyond too far that I have to give it praise for that. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's that's a very fair description of the movie. Mm. Ebit was was uh, unusually unfair, but sometimes he could hit the uh, the nail with the hammer. There, he just bam got it in place. And this movie, I just really liked the visual presentation of it. The camera moves, the cutting of the action sequences weren't confusing to me. I liked the obvious special effects and green screen in some scenes. It was amusing to me. It added a laughing effect. It made me think of uh, uh, a higher budget version of Who Killed Captain Alex, in which it feels like a bunch of people got together and they wanted to make a film with what they could. And I'm <laughs> with Academy Award nominated actors. And so I had a blast, but really... The film lives, breathes, and dies by Paul Giamatti at the center of it. Everything else is in service of Paul Giamatti. I walked in wanting Paul, and I walked out being happy that I got him here. But I came in with that uh, with that mindset of, oh, I'm going to see Paul Giamatti. But do you guys think that his performance is truly as crucial as we think it is outside of just us liking Paul Giamatti? Like, if he wasn't in this movie, if this wasn't the performance he gave, would we enjoy this movie as much? Uh, I Halfway through your question, I had an answer, but I think the second part of that question kind of changed it. So you're asking, if he wasn't in this film, would I still like it? Yeah. Um, I certainly wouldn't like it as much. Because the <clears throat> the answer that I came up with initially was, like, how crucial is he to this film? Because there does come a lot of points where the th- there's a whole conspiracy uh, behind the conflict in this film. Because at first it just seems like, oh, Paul Giamatti and a couple of other people that work for him want to kill this pregnant woman. And when they do that, they want to kill the, the baby, baby who's just been born. And... When you just have that plot, it's very simple, but doesn't you know doesn't make sense. But it's simple, and the more you learn, there's eventually you know a scene where the main character is away from all the action on a plane talking to a senator. So you know it gets very complicated. 
Um, it's like Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, but no matter how complicated it gets, the action always comes back to, you know, a Paul Giamatti conflict. Mm. So he is very, very crucial to this film. And for that villain who is in all of these important scenes, he really does, yeah, leave his, I almost said stain, but leave a mark on this film. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be a very different film without him, even though, you know, most of the funny gags, most of the funny action gags, you know, don't necessarily involve him. What do you think, Will? What do you think about the the Giamatti factor here? I definitely think it, it is it is a, it is one of the main factors in why the movie is uh, as good as it is. Like I think the other elements, if they were still the same, absent Paul Giamatti in this in this alternate timeline, uh, I, you know, it would I would still enjoy it, but I definitely wouldn't enjoy it as much to just rip off what Bartek said there because it's true. It's true. But, if, to go to the other part of the question, it's like, well, do you do you think Paul Giamatti's performance is really crucial to this movie, or is it just something that appeals a lot to us? I I feel like I can't quite remove myself from my own brain enough to answer that question because it's it's Paul Giamatti playing like a wacky action movie villain <laughs> with a crazy accent and a bunch of gags, so it's like, and he's doing a weird voice, and it's like, well, this is. This is like one of the things that like I want from a movie like this. So it's like I I can't separate like well yeah I think it's crucial but is it like objectively crucial? I'm not. I I don't know if I can answer that. I don't think I can. Yeah, I agree. I echo the the sentiments of you guys. Uh, one of the things I kept thinking about is uh, I know Bartek, you're not as familiar with these movies, but the John Wick films and the John Wick films. It made me think of those films, but in a like a lower budget, schlockier John Wick type movie where the guy, you don't really need to know his backstory all that much other than he's a badass and he displays his violence and the bad guys are like, this guy, is he good or we shit? That type of deal. And you get this feeling like there's a more complicated world happening in the crime sphere outside of the story or surrounding the story. But what John Wick lacks... John Wick is better in terms of visual presentation and it's just general action, but what it lacks, all three of the films currently available, all of them lack an amazing villain performance like we get in this film. All of them have fine villains. They're all fine. They're they're okay. They all work. I don't even remember who the villain was in the third film, and that was what last movies I saw in the cinema. So all I know is John Wick and Halle Berry had to fight people with dogs. That's all I remember. But but a great villain performance is a key factor to my enjoyment to these type of movies if the action isn't as spectacular. John Wick's action is super, super amazing, so it skirts, it skates on by. But this movie's action is very good, but it's not as good. It's a lot schlockier. So if I didn't have an amazing villain performance at the center of it, my enjoyment factor would be less. And Paul Giamatti's the guy. And I could see other actors doing this role as well. But let's not forget that Paul Giamatti in this film isn't even the head bad guy. He's like the muscle of the head bad guy. And he's so good that I forget that there's another bad guy in this movie. In fact, I don't even think they needed another bad guy. I think Paul Giamatti should have just been the leader and the boss the whole time. Yeah, even in the scenes where that guy does appear, 
Paul Giamatti still kind of commands the scene. Like the, when when they're in the warehouse or whatever it was, the the hammer. What was it? Hasn't Hammersmith? Hammerson. Hammerson warehouse. Um, you know, Paul Giamatti's talking to the boss. Uh, Smith is there quietly, and then they discover that Smith is there. You know, the boss isn't the one who like, ah, oh, we're gonna get you, or like talks to him. It's it's hurts. It's it's um, Giamatti. it's Paul Giamatti that's like, oh, you know, my boss was just saying something about you. Like, you know, he's bringing up like, oh, this other character. Like, it, it, it's not like that kind of you know respect for the boss kind of thing. It's not that he was disrespectful to him, but he's you know commanding the villainous side of this scene. But the boss does have his villainous like, uh, uh I'm the big boss qualities to him that we see with the with the uh a pussy with a gun yeah. speech that he has which is the capper to paul giamatti's journey and i do feel like in some other movies we have the bigger boss above the one that we usually have in like the main antagonist like in a uh, big trouble in little china that film has these four three or four henchmen who are very iconic but their big boss guy played by James Hong is also amazing and he has, doesn't have as much screen time either and i feel like this guy it wasn't his performance i thought his performance was crazy hammer said i thought he was nuts but it only felt like we really got to dig a little bit into him at the very end when we see his house filled with all of these stuffed dogs and stuff, and I was like getting a feeling of what this guy was, and then he was gone. And I wish that they omitted him from the script and just kept Paul Giamatti. Boil it down to being even simpler, because this is a a simple movie with some elaborate little twists in there, but those twists are just veneers or means to get to other action sequences like the reveal of the actual plot of the baby and the bone marrow and they want to capture the baby and the senator none of that's what we're here for what we're here for is whenever our characters are talking and a guy enters a room and they shoot the guy and it means that there's going to be more guys to shoot that's what we're here for and that's another pro to the john wick movies will you've seen the john wick movies their plots yes, are indeed. simple. You killed my dog and stole my car. I'm going to fucking kill you. That's it. And I feel like uh, with this uh, big boss villain, I feel like that's just one too many complications added to a script that could just be tighter and simpler. Just have Paul Giamatti. We hear his background of being this FBI, uh, not profiler. Director. Uh, no, uh, Spe- not director. Like, profiler. Profiler. Can't quite. He, 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 he corrects them on being title. a profiler. Yeah. He, he's like a consultancy person. and uh, He notices details that others wouldn't. And that just makes for a fine lead, lead, big boss antagonist. I don't, you know, and I like his line about, um, boss, shouldn't you hang back? And he's had that whole thing about being the leader, being the one in charge, the one at the back gets shot in the ass type of deal. And that sold me. I didn't believe that he was an underling to somebody else. That was also another factor, is because it's Paul Giamatti, well-known actor. Maybe the only other reason I could see this working if his big boss was another well-known, respected actor. But they weren't. They were just some Honest, Honestly, I got the big boss mixed up with one of Paul Giamatti's, like, right-hand men. Like, yeah. I'm, like oh, was he the boss all along? It's like, oh, no, that's a different character. That's a different character. Uh, let's talk about uh, some other aspects. We're, we're Giamatti-ing all over the place. We'll come back to Giamatti. He's very pivotal. But what were some other 
highlight moments for you in the film will oh before we move on to highlights i just want to i just want to expand on the point that you just brought up because my i watched this with a mate and uh, when i brought up i was talking to him last night and i brought up it's oh yeah i watched uh i re-watched uh shoot 'em up for the uh, you remember that movie for the uh, podcast and he was like oh yeah no i got a bit lost in that because it's like that that is because it's like this movie you know it's the most killing people with carrots and all these elaborate gun stunts and things you don't think this is the kind of movie where you have to you know pay attention now the plot is not like some super labyrinth complicated thing where you have to be like eyes glued to the screen processing every single detail to like keep up but it's more complicated than this movie feels like it um would be yeah for so like, you don't have to pay like super close attention but you do have to pay a little bit of attention i feel like after the first half of the film that's where you start getting some of the you know a little bit more complicated story stuff where again it's not super complicated but the way that the film was um you know playing out and making me feel like oh yeah this is you know, in the ballpark of, like, turn off your brain kind of stuff, when you did get the whole thing about, like, oh, there's a bone marrow transplant and this senator's the centre of it, like, I, it took me a little while to process all of it because I wasn't in, you know, super thinky mode, I suppose you could say. Yeah. So, like, at first when they brought up the senator, I'm like, oh, the, the senator's working with Paul Giamatti, and it's like, no, 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 he's the ultimate target for Paul Giamatti. Like, it took... It took them. It took a while for me to realize that. Even it was though it a turncoat. Yeah. Yeah, I. It just does have one too many complications. I, I, I said before we recorded, there was one moment on the film where I got lost because to me, I didn't get lost with those because the film did that uh, comedic wink, wink, nudge, nudging at the audience about how absurd the soul is and overly explaining the plot, like, stressfully explaining itself in a comedic fashion that felt natural to the sensibilities of the film. The moment that I got lost, and it was a it was a bizarre editing choice, was in the final torture scene with Paul Giamatti and Clive Owen. Paul Giamatti is bestowing his take on who, uh, who Clive Owen is, and that he shot his uh, wife and child with a shotgun or something or rather, if I'm not mistaken. But there was like this weird like series of cuts and overlay images and the noises from like the images that were being overlaid had noises coming from them. And I kind of got distracted with what Paul Giamatti was saying and it almost felt as if Paul Giamatti gave a speech and it was cut in half and condensed. And I was like, did I miss something here? Or was it just a weird cut and momentum of the scene that it just threw me off? I think it was he was um, working at his dad's gun shop and he sold the like the spree killer ah, yeah. the shotguns they used to um, shoot his uh, wife and child at the burger joint. Yes. But that was like, because like that part of the backstory comes in like, very close towards the end, very quickly, and there's like you're right. There are flashing images and noises, and, and, and the sort of muffled, whispery voices. There's there's a lot going on in that little bit. Yeah, it, I, it just felt and it's never even one hundred percent confirmed that that actually is his backstory. Paul yeah. Giamatti is still asking. He's like, "Am I right? Am I right? Is that you? You know, am I dead on?" <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and um. Though it's you, I definitely interpret it as like that. Definitely is he just doesn't want to give him the that ammo. But um, that um, you know, like that's not even like a hundred percent confirmed that that is the guy. Yeah, just for some reason, the way that that particular scene was edited, 
it just had unnecessary uh, bells and whistles and felt like a monologue or a speech that was cut in half. And I just got a little lost. That was the one moment where I got lost because this presentation was more unusual than it needed to be for that scene that was being presented. Uh, So what were some highlight moments of the film for you guys that isn't the Giamatti? I did like the motif of the carrot. <laughs> At first, did you get that he was Bugs Bunny <laughs> and that Jumadi uh, was over fun? The, the, the use of the word doc did very much give that impression, for sure. Because um, at first... You know, the, the film's got a very gritty look, a lot of dark colours, and this orange, you know, stick that you see this whole time just really st- sticks out, not to use the word twice. Um, stick. And at first there is just this funny thing of like, oh, this serious grim guy and he's always eating a carrot. He's always got that distinct crunch. Um, but then when they elevate that to him using it in action scenes mm-hmm. in very intense ways or even just like as a little handy tool, like mm-hmm. all of that was very fun. Yeah, and, I enjoy that. And, it was, and also the nice little touch of like in his safe house, like he's growing a bunch of carrots and he just grabs one. <laughs> I really liked the touch of uh, when Giamatti and Co are like, is he dead? He's probably dead. And then Giamatti hears the crunch of the carrot. He's like, fuck, he's alive. That was a, I enjoyed the carrots too. What about you, Will? What were some highlight moments in the film for you outside of the, the Giamatti factor? Outside of the G-Man. Because, hmm, I mean, that, like, there's a lot there. There's a lot. <laughs> the G-Man. There's a lot. Um, we've already mentioned the, the carrot. The carrot stuff is all just so gold as well, especially like... Orange. I feel like... Yeah, no, no. It's orange. Yeah, no, I feel like it was, it was almost always a new carrot as well, too, when he whips yeah. one out to get one. How many did he have and in I, his pocket? I loved his little, um, yeah, I loved his little hideout flat. I like the the uh, little gizmo he uses to get in of putting the rat in the thing and it comes down. It felt, that felt very kids movie for such a grim and gritty character. And um, I also love the, like, I think the moment in the movie where he gets the most mad and loses the most composure... Mm. Is when he's driving and that guy's being a dickhead on it's, the road. It's whenever he has pet peeves. Like, that annoys him much more than, like, the depravity of the villains or anything. <laughs> he gets, he's able to maintain. He gets, stuff, he's you know? pissed off and angry a lot in this movie. Lots of things upset him. And he lets us know what upsets him. You know? But I feel I feel like the road rage at the dickhead driver, I feel like that if, was the big <laughs> outburst. If this film had, like, a wiki, there would be an entry for, like... Everything that makes him mad or everything yeah. that pisses him off. If, how, how come that isn't in the trivia? <laughs> yeah. Uh, List then, of things that he was pissed off at. And then in the trivia, somebody just writes uh, that that um, the performance of Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood was unfair <laughs> and unrealistic. And that's not in this movie, but I wanted to point that out because <laughs> fuck that performance. Uh, somebody wrote that too for some reason. But no, my favorite thing in the movie is an action sequence. And it is when Clive Owen <laughs> exits the plane, okay, and it's a yeah. bunch of green. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bunch of green screen, and it's like YouTube, YouTube level, <laughs> 2010 YouTube level effects. Oh, so futuristic then, because it's a 2007 <laughs> film. And, and and um. When he kicks that one guy into the helicopter planes <laughs> and he's like still shooting at him. And it's got that really stuck like chinking sound effect. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I know I think I noticed early on that like 
like these they're running through the roof you know with the whole the neon sign that spells out fuck you and then paul giamatti spells <laughs> out fuck great. you too i didn't find that i didn't find the spelling out of fuck you funny i'm like that didn't get a reaction review. but then when paul giamatti does fuck you too that's like ah <laughs> i love that it like built up to like a funnier joke but yeah no i'm pretty sure one of like the little ricochet noises of like the, <laughs> the bullets hitting the thing i swear it's like was that in Left for Dead, that <laughs> bullet ricochet noise? That's one of those classic bullet ricochets. Another bit that got me laughing was early on when uh, she's giving birth to the baby and he's shooting all the bad guys and we see the shells landing on her big belly bouncing off. And that was just a visual that made me <laughs> yeah, laugh. Yeah, yeah, same, the, the bullet shells. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. I had a good chuckle. Um, a line delivery that I really liked was in, in the park scene when mm. he leaves the baby on the merry-go-round or whatever you call it <laughs> and the woman who sees the baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was great. It's like, look, somebody, man, baby, or something like that. A baby! <laughs> and then she gets shot. She just, she just said a very appropriate line, but delivered it kind of like wooden. an alien. Yeah. <laughs> Another moment I liked, and it was escalated to being a favorite moment due to trivia, is yep. when you know another woman. Another woman when uh, Clive <laughs> Owen says, "I'm going to form a distraction," and he sees a woman spanking her kid, and then he proceeds to spank her in front of everyone. And then the trivia pointed out that that actress, they didn't even name her, yeah. was very excited. To be spanked by Clive Owen yeah. on, on film. That was a specified thing. And it's like, uh, why is this in the trivia? Like How did it, yeah. they get this information? Yeah, in the I, that's trivia? what I was wondering. Like, well, what's she the wrote? Source? She wrote the trivia. That's the thing. That's the thing. People can add whatever they want on IMDb trivia for the most part, and if I no wish... one flags it. Then that could be. This could just be a lot. Like how, realistically, how did they get that information? Unless what That's, Clive Owen said it. <laughs> I really wish it was phrases like "I was really excited to be spanked by." It's like, oh well, there you go. She's she's revealed herself. But it's in quotation if- marks, and it says like. P. Giamatti, and you're like, wait a moment, what? You know, <laughs> you know what it is. It was the kid that wrote that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if your maid had let you keep the DVD, maybe it's on the DVD commentary. Oh, that would be true and amazing. Let's find out. Oh, I don't have the DVD. My friend took it again because he was very upset that I took it in the first place. I had another big moment of joy, which was it does involve Giamatti, so this is cheating a little. When Giamatti runs over the baby, or what he thinks is the baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and uh, then a little baby yes. ma- animatronic head that they've used early in the movie as just a, a, a prop to make us think it's a baby. Uh, when Giamatti sees that freaky looking baby thing screaming, he's just general confusion at that of series of events was one of the most bewildering things I've ever seen in my life and and it made me smile and it made Clive Owen in the scene smile as he ran away. Also, as people know from our previous discussion in which I cheered at the fact that a uh, that a dwarf got run over with the car, this movie promised and visually showed what looked like a baby being run over with a car and I love that too. That made a big chuckle out of me. I don't know, maybe it's just small things getting hit with cars and comedic films that make me really laugh. Yeah, I didn't get my trademark love of a dog getting killed, though. No? No dogs? Uh, he likes dogs. Fucker likes dogs. That little setup so that the dog likes him in the end. And then, then hey, just like John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, hey, they had a cat lover in this movie. They did, yeah. So you were happy? I could tell he loved cats because his mug said so. And he had a little cat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just... And he went, ah, 
when he drank. <laughs> I like know? how Clive Owen didn't have to say. Yeah, same. I, he just he just displayed it, and I was it, happy with that. It was like a good break of it's, the formula. It's an iconic, I think, moment of you know mime comedy that they should show you in like middle school drama. Like yeah. here's Mr. Bean. Here's Three Stooges. He's Clive he's, Owen. He's Clive Owen. <laughs> yeah, Marcel, Marcel, <laughs> Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> Clive Owen. In shooter. No, no, just Clive Owen. They even watch Children of Men and nod their head along going, yes, yes, brilliant, brilliant. This amazing comedic genius, Clive Owen. A comedy genius of his generation. Move the fuck over, Seth Rogen. Clive Owen's in the room and he's giving us those singers. You know, I love in the bit where the robo baby gets run over and Paul Giamatti realizes, I love how just how indignant and offended he is by it after everything that's happened in the movie. He's like, oh, that's sick. That's... How could you do this to me? <laughs> there were several scenes that felt like a ni- like a 1930s comedy where the scene goes on just a little too long, so the actors have to keep saying the same phrase over and over again until it cuts. And Paul G. Mania, I swear, there's so many scenes where he's just going... That sick guy. That guy, he thinks he's the best. Ooh. Fuck me sideways. <laughs> Fuck me sideways. Is, are we shit or is he just great? <laughs> shit like that. Or, lucky I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. That's right, I have a vest on. Which he didn't have at the end. I was a little disappointed with that at the end. He gets shot a million times and he wasn't wearing a vest there. Yeah, actually, the film has displayed he's always wearing a vest. It was actually, those things. that's a really good point, Ryan. Especially because it's like those those like five shots he takes to the chest were all in the bulletproof that's, area. That's not what actually kills him in the end, anyway. So it's like mm. they could have still had him wearing the vest then, and then you can instead of doing like a gory shot of his gut being shut out, I don't know, you could do his like his head. No, I like seeing his heartbeat. <laughs> that is good too. But then you, the bulletproof vest might run through that. Maybe he takes it off after he gets the five or so yeah. in there, and then you know he's taken off so you can get like the final gut shot, you know. With, with the whole thing of this being like an action film, but also having Paul Giamatti in it, it's really nice that we had, you know, like him kind of playing against type, but also doing what you bring Paul Giamatti in for. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. I like that. Yeah, because I jokingly said to you last episode, yeah, Paul Giamatti in an action movie, I want to hear the phone call of that conversation, right? But you're, you're completely 100% correct. Like Roger Ebert hammering the nail on the head there because he does give you everything you want, but he's doing something that we've never seen him do before. Seeing Paul Giamatti with a gun running around, being the badass imposing motherfucker villain... I hadn't seen that, and especially if I was seeing this at the time, that was a, that would be a new thing. This guy was just in Cinderella Man and Sideways, and now he's going to do the Nanny Diaries. He's like a sweetheart, or like a, 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 a or John Adams, like he's a man with gravitas. But to see him bring all of that zany, wacky energy we love him for, but also do this. Like, I didn't know that this was going to be an R-rated, you know, high-impact violence film. When you told me, like, oh, it's Paul Giamatti handling a gun for the first time, the image in my head that I had for this film was him being a him, him reacting to a recoil for the first time and, like, yes. yelping. Like, I thought that's what I was in for. and Like a Big no. Mama's House type deal. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be his character from Big Mama's House, like that nebbish friend who's like, ah, oh, jeez, what are you doing? Ah. Yeah, like I thought the, the oh, he handles the guns, like just a trivia point. I didn't realize that this was Guns the movie. Yeah, another joke that I really liked in the movie to get away from Giamatti again mm-hmm. 
was the introduction of our lead actress and then a guy pops up and you're like, oh, oh, okay. And there was a Giamatti line to cheat again, to go back to the Giamatti pool. When he figures out that the baby needs to be fed, we'll get to him getting the breast milk off the corpse. But him saying, like, in that action movie way that a villain says where he's just like, Track down every wet nurse, lactating mother, and you know, uh, like lactating hooker in town, and we're gonna get this motherfucker because a baby needs to eat. Amazing, amazing that you can get an Academy Award respected, nominated actor to deliver those kind of lines, and he does it in a cheesy manner, but also with that gravitas, that absolute gravitas. Oh, what did we all think of uh, action scene? Whilst also being a sex scene, that was pretty <laughs> impressive. I'm, you know what? I've I haven't seen that before. Not that I can recollect. Yeah, usually the action interrupts the sex, like even not, in Desperado. Not this time. Well, not really, but yeah, not this time. <laughs> not this time. She's still got to come. I, I was reading online that apparently a lot of people uh, have seen that scene and enjoy it without realizing what film it's from. Which that's interesting. That we're kind of on the opposite end now. Because I'd never seen it before. No, I hadn't either. What I'm, usually I would complain, because in the movie, <laughs> I still kind of do complain, in a movie where you know a sex scene is coming up just because they have to have one. Yeah. And it's like in the most inconvenient time to have one, which this definitely was. <laughs> but but the payoff to it was worth it in the end. <laughs> like, if it was a, we get interrupted and, oh my god, they've caught us with our pants down, and we get knocked out, and the villain captures us, then I would have been pissed off. But here, they thought, what if we had one of those scenes, but he's still fucking her, and we're having to choreograph not showing anything properly? When the and that se- was pretty clever. <laughs> when the scene began, and it was still just, you know, a sex scene, the fact that the gun was right there, it's like, oh, wow, I wonder, I wonder if this is just, like, a little funny thing, or if this is a telling you what the scene's going to be, and it was telling you what the scene's going to be. Now that's blowing your load. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are so many points in this film where we mentioned, like, you know, this film is self-aware, it knows what it is, um, and with films that are silly like this, you might sometimes get audience members who just don't get it. Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of points in this film that really try to, like, hammer home, like, guys, are you getting it? Like, we had the whole, you know, fuck you too line, and that whole scene. Like, the fact that the girl, DQ, is just into it the entire time and like almost doesn't even acknowledge the the fights and going on that is very much against her character because she's like very serious kind of but the, sex the rest is of the good. film but the sex is good yeah and just but the fact that like it's so good that she's <laughs> this is a character who dumps a baby in the alleyway so she could give a guy a gobby so that she could get the baby something to eat for money or whatever it was or the she... vest the bulletproof vest so she could get the vest it's better than a crib i mean that was a very sensible investment given everything yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if the the methodology might have been a bit flawed there, but it's like that was a good investment. It worked. But yeah, like she's this sensible character, but also she'll do shit like that, which I found amazing. I also love the ending of the movie with the crackheads and they like do a dramatic zoom in on their toenails and shit and like their earring, and you're like, oh, he's gonna shoot these things, isn't he? And he does. Yeah, I love that he adjusts the angle of the guy's arm to get the other guy around the corner. <laughs> that was that was another that was clever. That was another pet peeve moment where it's like, oh, he didn't need to say anything. It's like oh, the camera's doing all the work for you. It's like, oh, they got this fucking earring, this fucking toenails not clipped, whatever the other guy had. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
I also oh, also ponytail ponytail yeah. the, that was earlier in the movie, but then he re- redid that at the end, and also the milkshake guy. He made sure <laughs> yeah. to get the milkshake guy. <laughs> I liked the I love I love the bit where he's on the bus with the baby and he, he notices the other baby wearing the little beanie and he <laughs> takes off his filthy sock to put it on the <laughs> and the as the hat and the other mother's like oh yeah good job she approved she's like yeah now you're doing it she looked like good job good job and <laughs> yeah, I thought that was very it. funny that was very sensitive of you Clive Owen yeah well he lived in the Children of Men universe he's become a very sensitive guy he's no longer disaffected ah so he lived well yeah did you not see this film you know. Shoot him up. This I is only children, noticed now. Children of Men too. Shoot him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only there was a really extended one and done take in a car spinning around like they did in Children of Men, then this film would really nail it. Oh, brother, this... If this had a video game adaptation... Oh, yeah, a point-and-click adventure. It's, a, it's an RTS where you play as Paul Giamatti sending goons after Clive Bowen. Yeah, you play all the guns. <laughs> you play... You play <laughs> it's Enter the Gungeon. That's what this game is. Yes. So, where you keep getting different types of guns. Yeah. I didn't know this gag because I'm not a, a James Bond fan. But early on, he has he uses the the the, the specific gun, yeah, like that a Wolfer P K K K or something. Yeah, like James Gun, James Gun, James Bond <laughs> uses. Sorry, and he's like, it doesn't, it's not really good, and he's just like, ah, this is a this is a piece, this is a piece of shit gun, and he throws it away, and it's like, oh, it's because it's like, I guess meta wise, it's like a gag because Clive Owen was the second choice for Bond after Daniel Craig. Imagine that universe in which Daniel Craig was in this movie. And Clive Owen was Bond. Well, all of those Bond films would need to have a baby or an unborn baby. Well, let me tell you about a little James Bond film. I was going to like name one like I've ever watched <laughs> any of the new ones outside of Casino Royale. Um, Quantum of Solace. <laughs> Where I've, there's I've... that guy who doesn't know how to... Uh, um, uh, what was he? He had a broom in the background. Do you know this? There's a famous extra in Quantum of Solace... Who's in the background and he's got a broom and he's supposed to be sweeping a path behind them, but his broom is like like a foot or two off the ground. Oh yeah, I think I've seen doing, that. Yeah, he's not even trying. Is, <laughs> is Quantum of Solace the one where like they were making, they were writing the script mm-hmm. as they were filming it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Writer strike. I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig ones. I've only seen some of the older ones. I've only seen and, the uh, first. I've only third. seen those relatively Have you seen recently. Any of the Clive Warren ones? Clive Owen, sorry, Warren. I wish I'd seen the Clive Owen one. I wish I'd seen the Paul Giamatti James Bond. Oh, well, don't say, never say never. We're going to need a new Bond. Giamatti's free, I think. <laughs> Why not? Uh, no, no. Giamatti would play Q. Definitely. Here's your fucking laser gun, you motherfucker. <laughs> and he throws it at Bond. <laughs> And then John, and then John Cleese is in the corner. He's the old Q, and he's just like, bloody oath, these damn woke comedians. <laughs> <laughs> and Giamatti's like, shut the fuck up, you lying bastard. <laughs> fuck me, I was in sideways. <laughs> fuck me sideways, I was in it. Fuck me sideways, I was in that movie, as well as Big Fat Liar. Fuck me Cinderella, man. <laughs> you know what's really funny about Cinderella Man? From last I checked, Russell Crowe, who's in Cinderella Man, has stated that working with Paul Giamatti on that film changed his life forever because Paul Giamatti 
is one, if not the best actors he's ever worked with in his entire career. And that brings us back to Giamatti. What has been your perceptions of Paul Giamatti before we did this podcast? What was your knowledge of him? What did you think he was as an actor? To be honest, I don't think I had any knowledge of Paul Giamatti before we did the podcast. Like, I'd seen Truman's show, but, you know, he wasn't the biggest player in that. Yeah, I don't think I knew anything about him. Wow. Marty Wolf really was my introduction to him. You haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man 2? No, I haven't. I've not seen the first Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> wait, who, who, wait, who, 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 wait, wait, let me guess. I can't remember what villain he plays. He was a villain. I can't remember what villain he plays in that. Big, um, Kingsworth R. He ends the movie. The rhino. <laughs> the the, Why is he like really ripped and no. tall? Well, Ryan, you, Ryan, you said he ends the movie. He ends that continuity. <laughs> he ends that continuity. So, Poggi Marty's bald, has a wire tattoo around his head, speaks in a thick Russian oh, wait, accent. Is it like. Is it, is it, oh, I think speaks I vaguely remember this. Russian it's accent. like an Omek or something. <laughs> And there were people who think that, and there were people who think that movie's good, by the way, and I agree because Paul Giamatti as Mecha Rhino is one of the best. But- oh yeah, what a what a way to finish off a the a film. It's like here's Paul Giamatti as like a Russian <laughs> Gundam Rhino guy. <laughs> but Will, what about you, Gundam Giamatti? What was your perception and understanding and knowledge of Paul Giamatti before we? Started talking about him and made this mythos around him. Before, I mean, before, I liked yeah. Paul Giamatti and everything, but it's like before we did this podcast, we did Big Fat Liar. I was definitely not the person who would like look at the cast for a movie and see Paul Giamatti and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm excited." Like you know, I see that uh, whenever we watch this, you know, we quickly flick it on. I see Paul Giamatti's in the cast, I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, good times." Whereas like before the podcast, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have been like, you know, I liked him. But I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, Paul Giamatti. I'm excited, man. What type of actor do you think? Defin- did you think of him as? Like, what type That's... of roles or what Ooh. type of genres? Or like, did you think he was a comedy guy or a dramatic guy? Ooh. Even though I'd seen him in dramatic stuff, I definitely probably, because I definitely probably would have. It's hard to go back into my mindset there. I think I would have gone. Saney, but he's he's got quite now now I've had my like great Paul awakening. I know of the great range of Paul Giamatti. <laughs> like and he, he is just all over the shop, the whole shop. He's, but he it's owns, like, he owns I, I feel shop. like I feel like before even if I've seen him in quite a lot of, I've probably seen him probably uh, back before this podcast I've seen him in more dramatic stuff than Interesting. wacky stuff, but I think I would have fought he was more of a wacky bloke, but I'm not 100% sure. I bring this up because there was a moment in the film, we've alluded to it, where Paul Giamatti fondles a dead corpse's breast and it squeezes the breast milk out of it and he licks it or smells it and and he claims jokingly that's his best love scene he's ever had in a movie, which <laughs> is an amazing comment to make. I think romantic scene, I think you said. Um, romantic scene in a movie, amazing, amazing, amazing. I looked at that scene... And I sat back in my chair and laughed. We all laughed. Do we all want to go around quickly and give our thoughts on how we felt about when that dramatic moment took place? I had my giggle. He had a giggle. <laughs> Will you? I laughed. And I then laughed. I'm trying to remember it- now, even though I was singing twice. It's like, I, does he like? I know he like 
does I know I remember it's like does he close his eyes and just have a moment of contentment or does he already even like roll his eyes back into he, his he looks head? like he's he looks like he's orgasming himself. He looks like he's in bliss. <laughs> he's in absolute bliss. When I when I saw that scene, I sat back, I had a laugh, we all had a laugh. We all slapped our knees and said, Gia Marty And I sat back and I went I always even to this day, after we've done these episodes, always have said those were outliers of Paul Giamatti's career, and Paul Giamatti is a serious, dramatic, prestigious actor, a respected actor, somebody who you look at and go, Paul Giamatti? Right up there with with other prestigious actors, like Daniel Day-Lewis, not in terms of level of, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, the top, top actor, but, like, they're dramatic. They may do the occasional funny thing in a movie or zany performance, but overall, I have a high regard for them. And now I watched this scene and I went, no. Is Paul Giamatti, is that the outlier? And Paul Giamatti is actually a very hammy actor, a very over-the-top actor. Because I grew up with him on uh, John Adams, that TV miniseries, and he's very quiet and very subdued and very naturalistic there. And then I saw this scene, and I'm thinking about all the movies we've covered, even Lady in the Water, right? Lady in the Water was uh, Shyamalan hiring prestigious actor Paul Giamatti to be in his prestigious film, but it's all a joke. Mr. Heap. <laughs> Mr. Heap and Paul Giamatti's like I've forgotten his name. Was it really Mr. Heap in that movie? (laughs) (laughs) It took a while for them to say it, so when they said it, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) And Paul Paul Giamatti, we laugh because we think of him as this serious actor. This movie seems like he's a serious actor. He's delivering all these serious monologues, but then that hammy actor in him is like, I gotta do a stutter. I gotta do a stunt. <laughs> and he's just like over the top. But when he drinks the milk and he has it in his mustache, he's like a little baby on the couch. And he's like, gaggy. And it's like. Well, he drank the milk and had the mustache in Lady in the Water. Yeah, but I'm saying like in Lady in the Water. Oh, sorry. I thought we were talking about this one. No, no, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, there's milk going there's around milk in both situations. So, you know. Yep. But, but I'm looking back at what we've seen of him and what I also have seen him do. Like, he he's in. Uh, movies with the rock all the time nowadays like he's in jungle cruise currently and he plays like a mustache twirling bad guy <laughs> he has a parrot on his shoulder literally and it's like, is, is the parrot also voiced by paul giamatti wish, back and doing wish. a back and forth of himself i'm thinking to myself where did this idea of paul giamatti becoming being a prestigious actor come from because i'm looking at his filmography there's so much goofy shit that he does, and yet we all walk around with this level of like, oh yeah, Paul Giamatti, love beloved actor, Paul Giamatti. But Paul Giamatti is fucking funny all the time now. I'm looking at it and I'm like, after the breast milk scene, I'm never gonna think about cinematic actor, Academy Award nominee. This actor is an actor that if you put him in a film, you've risen it up in levels of gravitas. No, 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 no. Now I'm fully on board for Paul Giamatti is a con man of being schlocky. And he's a con man in the sense of he's tricked so many people into thinking that he's not a schlock actor, but he fucking is. And see, because I didn't have a history with him, I was pure. I saw it for what it was straight away. It's like if for some reason we all thought Tim Curry was a prestigious like gravitas actor but then we realized that he's what we do know him to be which is like super fun and campy Paul Giamatti 
I'm on board with this new perception of Paul Giamatti. Goodbye, prestigious actor Paul Giamatti. I'm on the fucking freight train for more movies like this. I am going to see Jungle Cruise because I know he's going to chew the scenery like no man's business. So now, so now your iconic, you know, line that you say when you do his impression is, I was, emphasis on was, in Sideways. No, no, no. It will, it will be like, I was prestigious actor once, but now I'm in fucking Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. And maybe because I, I think of Sideways, it's like, oh yeah, that kind of mumblecore drama comedy film where they drink wine and i see paul giamatti in interviews all the time and he seems like a really nice guy a little bit socially awkward but like he's serious and then i see him in these movies i guess let's not forget he did have that quote saying that like you know big fat liar big mom's house were great films thunderpants was fun too like those are the ones he was talking about in that scene thunderpants is that one of his view. favorite movies yeah that's what I, that's what i mean i can't get yeah. past that <laughs> now i can because i understand this is the type of shit he actually likes to do how come, like, I, I still can't fathom it. It must be just because of Cinderella Man and Sideways and John Adams and a few others blinding us all to the fact that he's such a schlock actor. Because, you know, there are some over-the-top actors that people always point to as being over-the-top and there's a mocking quality there to it. Like, uh, oh, you know, if they're in a film, it's going to be funny. Like, if Nicolas Cage is in a movie, it's going to be, like, wacky and crazy. Like, Nicolas Cage and Mandy, ooh, I've got to watch that because he's going to freak out. Nobody does that enough with Paul Giamatti. If there's a Paul G- There's a film called Morgan that came out a few years ago, directed by the uh, son of Ridley Scott, I do believe. First film. Oh, what's that bloke's name again? I and, forget. And uh, Scott Scott. And <laughs> I was gonna say Scotty, but yeah, that's I love how serious he said Scott Scott. It's like ah oh, yeah, ah oh, yes. It's, yes. A, it's not like that was like a childish catchphrase, like Scott Scott, <laughs> Scott Scott. And Anya Taylor Joy is this uh, creature in the movie. She's this uh, manufactured, genetically engineered humanoid creature. And Paul Giamatti's literally in one scene in the movie, and he's there as a psychiatrist to test her mental capabilities and if she's actually like sentient or not and no joke there's no explanation in the movie for why he's like this other than paul giamatti just did this paul giamatti walks into the scene and he's entering the scene like he's very pissed off and it's like no no but you're supposed to be like the mild-mannered psychiatrist who's like asking her these questions and then she flips out and kills you but in this, he walks in almost like his character from this in which his wife has just left him. He's fucking fuming. Like, he's got Anya Taylor-Joy, who's like this small, pretty, young lady, and he's like screaming in her face these psychiatrist questions with his like big frame and big beard, and then she uses her like psychic powers to throw him against the wall. And no joke, he gets thrown against the wall, and he reacts indignantly to this. He doesn't react like shocked or surprised, like, what are you doing? Don't kill me. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like I wonder if Paul Giamatti is that actor where nobody tells him no anymore and we all just like it because we still think of him in our brain as like respected actor Paul Giamatti and not schlock Nicolas Cage type actor. Because Nicolas Cage was I mean, pers- yeah, that's also not really fair to Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, you know, he's not always, ooh, I'm, I'm like crazy wacky face off kind of stuff. I love face off too. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, I fucking love that movie. But, we all do. You know, but it's like, um, you know, it's like, you know, like, you know, and to go to Paul Giamatti, it's like, you know, 
he can be both. He can be king of the cinema and king of the schlock. I mean, I think you know which one I prefer like him to be. But, but, but you know, he can be both. But how come people like Travolta and Nicolas Cage, who all both started out as dramatic actors, I mean, Nicolas Cage is the one that's won a fucking Academy Award for acting, for fuck's sake, out of the three actors we're talking about. Paul Giamatti's never won an Academy Award. Nicolas Cage has. They all start out as these dramatic actors or these actors that had a gravitas or respectability. And how come Travolta and Nicolas Cage don't get the ride on the coattails of those as much as, as Paul Giamatti do? Because all three of them choose wacky, over-the-top energy for their performances all the fucking time. How come they can't get away with it, but Giamatti can? I don't know. Yeah, Is it I'm... just because he's never been as big of a star as those two actors? Because Nicolas Cage and John Travolta were fucking stars. Paul Giamatti is an actor. He's never been a mega star. What do you think? I'm just, I'm like really racking my brain because I'm like, there must be some kind of explanation, but I'm just getting what was, nothing what was the film it doesn't you're right right it doesn't make sense what was the film that really made Giamatti? was it sideways <sighs> maybe cinder sideways or cinderella man and so that's like mid 2000s early to mid 2000s maybe and maybe it's because nicholas cage and john travolta had their you know real made thing much earlier and they had that history behind them maybe yeah. that's an element yeah but now we're like 20 years or so since giamatti and then think about travolta 20 years later he has to get tarantino to bring his career back i just don't know i think i think it's just he hasn't had a role like he did, like Travolta did in Greece, or he's never had a role like Nicolas Cage did in uh, Moonstruck, where, where it was like people really got enraptured. People really always like Paul Giamatti, but it's like you guys say, it's like either you don't know him, but you kind of do, or you're like, oh yeah, Paul Giamatti, you know, he's in the cast, like, yeah, it'll be a good time. But he's also the guy who do Rhino in a mecha suit, <laughs> and you don't question it. You don't question, like, Usually in movies like that, when a prestigious actor demeans themselves for the money, obvious, like, attaching themselves to the zeitgeist, like, we see so many actors do. Like, Jeremy Irons is... Alfred seems like an obvious casting choice, but then when you watch him in those movies, it's almost like he's embarrassing himself for money. But Giamatti... He had to skate on by and do movies like this. Does, maybe, I know I made a joke about like, oh, I saw him before what he was, that's my advantage. But to to ask a question of someone who doesn't have my, uh, you know, opinion of him or, or experience with him. History. Um, obviously on this podcast, we have, you know, impressions of him and like, you know, little stereotypes and stuff like that. But in general pop culture, are there things like that for Paul Giamatti? Because Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, there definitely are. Yeah. Like you have like caricature impressions of them. Do 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 does pop culture in general have that for Paul Giamatti? He's nebbish. Because of sideways. I think pop culture wise, Paul Giamatti's thing is he's he's uh neurotic. And he he has that screaming voice in which he isn't screaming. You know what I mean? We saw it in this movie where yeah. where he talks like this, but he isn't breaking. That bar- he has those mm. qualities, the, the the frantically neurotic guy, and I think that's what most people think. Or John Adams, his performance as John Adams is 
that really captured the pop culture for quite some time, and it is a pretty amazing performance. This very quiet, mild-mannered, infuriated man who's trying to figure out what to do with their life, whilst also forming a new country. That's the best I can give you, but no, he doesn't have... But at the same time, why doesn't he? Because we've watched him in all of these movies, and he's fucking crazy! He's fu- but he doesn't have, I take his face off. Face off. You know, like... <laughs> oh, yeah! I feel this like if John Travolta and Nicolas Cage did <laughs> did some of the things, had done, had played the villain in this film, like, it would be in sort of the rotations of memes of those two yeah. actors. But Like, with John Travolta, I'm thinking of, like, no, the, the, South, the South Park Scientology episode where he's like, yeah, why are you in the class? Like, come on, that yeah, kind of thing. Why? How? How is Paul Giamatti able to just... So seamlessly go into the schl- go into the schlock and just lord over the schlock as a king, but like not really have not necessarily have that impact his um like maybe he just dramatic yeah persona. reputation yeah his reputation maybe. I'm so I'm so bewildered how how maybe he's just got Paul the- how can you do it man I don't understand I guess he just has the balance and he hasn't really had a big fall I guess. No, that's why I also think he's I, always a supporting actor more so than a lead. Lead. Like I wouldn't want it to like negatively impact him, but it's just, like, just to. I, I just don't understand how it. How he's just done it. Yeah, just to remind everyone, I think I've only seen the films of Paul Giamatti that we've done on the podcast, so I haven't seen it or any of the prestigious ones. So yeah, yeah. well, we're gonna have to change that now. Next episode, Bartek's foreign film is going to be a Paul Giamatti <laughs> Bollywood movie. Where is it? Oh, that would be yeah, that would be amazing. That would be fun. Okay, you know Bollywood films. You know, what type of character type would he be in a Bollywood production? Um, of the three we've done on the podcast, I could see him fitting in main Hunna. Like, as that, that as I know a character. Yeah, is. I can't tell if he would be like Percy, like the the kind of geeky guy, or mm. if he'd be one of the teachers, like the wacky teachers, the principal. <laughs> yeah, the principal or the one that spits all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it would be. I um, I don't know much else to say about Shoot 'Em Up. It's just a really fun movie. It's a recommendation from me, but I just couldn't help but think about talking about Giamatti because he's so good in this movie. And I wish he did more movies like this. But then I look at his career and I'm like, fuck, you've actually done mostly these type of movies. <laughs> and it seems like I just always think of, I, I, along with many others, think of him as a far more dramatic actor than he is. Like, he's in Jungle Cruise right now. If I show you a picture of what he looks like in Jungle Cruise, you would laugh at just seeing his big beard and cheesy grin <laughs> with a parrot on his shoulder and a three-piece suit on with a machine gun in one hand. Like, it's, it's fucking absurd. When they cast Mario, Chris <laughs> Pratt, <laughs> oh, the, the new Mario, yes, people. Legitimately, I thought that was a joke. People, legi- I didn't think that was real. People legitimately said, "Why not Paul Giamatti? He would be a good voice for, for Mario. <laughs> Why not?" And I sat there on my on my on my uh, chair, leaning back, going, "That would be an amazing casting choice for the voice of Mario." Getting Paul Giamatti to be like, he's Italian. He's Giamatti. I would assume he's Italian. Giamatti. And he would be like, hey guys, it's me, fucking Mario. And I mean, with my fucking brother, Luigi. <laughs> fucking me, sir, the ways. <laughs> so now that we've seen Shoot 'em Up, we have to add F words to the impression. <laughs> I always did. I, I feel like I had a perception of Paul Giamatti as zany 
before this podcast, but it's like, was that true or am I letting my current ideas infect the past? It's hard to gather because when you watch Shoot 'em Up, it practically wipes away all his other roles to me and it only encapsulates <laughs> this is all I think about. Other than Marty Wolf, because there is some overlap with Marty Wolf because he has that uh out of all of our actors, they all know what they're in, but he knows the most. And that's what we loved about him in Big Fat Liar. He knew what kind of project he was in and really relished being in it. Like, he never looks down on them. Like, the best Giamatti material is when he recognizes how silly it is and doesn't look down upon it, but embraces it. And he fucking... But with that... With that uh, cynical edge he has like we love that about marty wolf where he was like putting in these really adult things in his performance hey ricky like... retardo <laughs> <laughs> or just like i'll never forget in in big fat liar a visual gag is that his safe that he has is a a, a bunch of like chopped up images that make up his face and it's oh, one of those yeah. small details that's not so obvious but once you look at it you go oh, yeah, i forget oh, the yeah. word for that yeah, that's it's like the Truman Show poster yeah, but like of his face, like but a, of Giamatti's face. Do we call that a mosaic? A mosaic, I guess. Is the um, I know mosaics right. for like censorship, but like when you make an image out of it, like is that also a mosaic? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, because mosaics are made out of a bunch of little yeah. things, but probably something hyper specific. A macro collage. Do you, you do you know listening people? Tell us in the comments in below. The comments, Giamatti. Below. I know you're listening. I'm fucking listening, Ryan, and what you're saying is true, you, know, you motherfucker. <laughs> Paul, tell me, Paul, tell me how you do it. I don't understand now. I hadn't thought about it till Ryan this, brought it this. up, but it's driving me crazy. Do your body, do your body really, lo- <laughs> really loves having white hair in movies? Because in the last five years, he was in two films, now three, because there's a sequel to one of these films, in which he plays an angry L.A. music producer with white hair. He was that in the, uh, N, um, uh, the uh, what do they call, uh, Straight Outta Compton movie, mm-hmm. where he played the agent. And he was that in the rock movie San Andreas, where he had, like, w- w- white blonde hair. And he was, like, an angry producer man. And, like, and there's a coming a sequel to that. And I'm like, Giamatti... He has a type. He has a type. And I'm noticing it, Giamatti. I'm fucking noticing it. He's in this TV show right now. This is one of my last pieces of Giamatti trivia. He's in a TV show now, right now. I think it's called Billions. I can't remember the exact title. And he was on the Colbert uh, uh, late night show. And he was talking about the opening scene and how he ha- wouldn't let his kids watch it, or they did watch it, in which it's Giamatti is tied up in a kinky sex situation with a dominatrix, burning out a cigar in his chest. And and, and Colbert reacted like, whoa, really? You, Giamatti? And now I hear that, and I'm thinking, what do you mean, you, Giamatti? That's a logical progression in his fucking career. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, that's a step back from feeling up corpses. Stephen Colbert, you know? have that's you... quite a bit less <laughs> extreme. I was gonna say, have you seen Shoot 'Em Up? Have you seen Shoot 'Em Up? This is just his. This is a Saturday afternoon for him. Yeah, put down the Emmys and watch Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, put down the Emmys, watch Shoot 'Em Up, and bring him back on and <laughs> interview him about that fucking film. Uh, anything else we want to say? Um. I didn't get to say it when you were talking about the Mario thing, but yeah, the, not even just Mario, like any of the Charles Martinet characters. Like, I think Paul Giamatti would be a fun one for like if you're going to Hollywoodify a cast member. Yeah, he's better than he's better than Drek. 
in in Ratchet like that mm. that that casting choice for a, a, a beloved video game character. He would be better for Mario or Charles well, Martinet character than what, him as Drek yeah, from, in Pol- what, because Drek has such a deep booming voice in my recollection. From what I understand, like the remake Drek, they completely ruined the character. So yeah, because like he was like this really yeah Kevin Michael Richardson deep voice businessman who was very straight laced, whereas Paul Giamatti version was he like really nasally, wacky, and he has a nasalier voice. Paul Giamatti, yeah. that's yeah, I'm doing his fucking voice right now. I'm Paul yeah. Giamatti. <laughs> Is a throaty, nasally tone, but uh, which could work for Mario. Hashtag recast Mario. I can see him as Wario as well. <sighs> Actually, well, we gotta, that would be really, we, that would be really but good. we got to leave something for Danny DeVito. <laughs> Danny uh, DeVito is Wario. <laughs> I was going to say Waluigi, but no, no, no. Waluigi would be Charlie Day in the correct version <laughs> of it, in which they just get their characters from It's Always Sunny. But hey, it's fine. Waluigi, Waluigi could be played by I don't know who's like a weirdo. Jared Leto. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> what what tattoo will he have in his forehead? He'll send cast members in the mail tennis rackets. <laughs> Waluigi tennis bitch. And he's like outside the window. Oh no, no. And he grows the mustache in real life, and he tries to wax it to be like that. It's just perfect. Uh, anything from you, Will, to wrap out thoughts? Um, I would, I would rec, I would recommend shoot 'em up. I think it's a good. It's like a, it's like a Sunday afternoon movie. You're just kind of sitting back, watch it, relaxing. Watch it with your dad. Yeah, watch grandmother. It. The whole family. It's a whole. It's a family affair. <laughs> Granny, watch the film. There's, there's a baby. They look after it. It's very parental. It's a film about the importance of family, and that's what makes it so. That's what makes it so important. That's what makes it so good. More so than Star Wars, I would say. Yeah. Oh, if Giamatti was in Star Wars, on the other hand, now he would have to play like a creature. He can't play a guy. You know, I didn't say it earlier, but when we were talking about how he's, you know, the right hand man to the main villain in this film, I was going to say, yeah, he's the Darth Vader of the film. No, he's the Palpatine. He should be. No, now when Ian McDermott passes away, get Giamatti in. <laughs> I love the implication that, like, yeah, Disney's not done with Palpatine. <laughs> I mean, they can't, they're they're can't be. Not. They can't be. <laughs> no one's ever really gone. So, <laughs> when Ian McDermott sadly passes away, don't replace him with Sam Witwer, whoever does it. Get fucking Giamatti. Don't explain why he's American now. Get Giamatti in there to be like. Yes, motherfuckers, it's me, Giamatti. <laughs> I'm in the Senate. Fuck me sideways, young Skywalker. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking do it. <laughs> fucking do it sideways. <laughs> I'm fucking Palpatine. <laughs> you know, normally <laughs> normally I would complain if we do an episode where we just talk about one element the whole time, but it's the 300th episode, so I'm, I'm allowing it. <laughs> Yeah. This movie isn't deep. Yeah. We gave our complaints, we gave our criticisms the, of a positive row. We talked about the directing, the editing, the, the mile Yeah, the milestone special has to be like this, I feel I feel. <laughs> this is a step up from Lady in the Water. I enjoyed Giamatti in this more than I did. Lady in the Water, I was embarrassed for Paul Giamatti. For Mr. Heap. In this, I was thrilled for Paul. Like, I didn't want the movie to end for him. I felt like he was so upset with the production finished. <laughs> I, yeah, I was so sincerely upset, like, that 22-minute mark. It's like, you're not killing him off. This is The film was... Oh, you're so right, Bartek. That would, dis- that would destroy this film. 
and it would but hey and it would destroy they, me in the in the minute or two before finding out he's still alive i actually was like what is this film gonna be now he got shot five times in the chest and he stood back up and i i believed it because paul giamatti was fueled by anger at that point and i believed that that, that guy <laughs> could do that you know actually at the end of the film when he was shot and like his wife called he still stood up like no problem i was like oh this, let's have like a you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 fist fight at the end kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, these two guys are all battered and, like, they're on the same level. Like, it's going to be crazy. I but, did like know. the pathetic nature of Clive Owen with his broken hands in the casts at the end. Like, that gave me a real laugh just seeing his hands in these goofy casts. It made me bandages and all that. It made me laugh a little bit when he also had to utilize using his gun <laughs> with the it Karen. Is, it is stuff. genuinely a really good thing after it's like you you take the hero's power away at the very end for the final fight it's like you know he's a sharpshooter it's like well all his fingers are broken so he's got to improvise a bit yeah and he it's, does it's genuinely good Bartek what's your recommendation for next week for next week um we're in my non-american uh cycle choice we are going with a film of the french language called the other son from 2012 the other son? Yes. It's on SBS On Demand. Wait, sorry, know. just a question, Bartek. Sorry, Bartek, just a question. Is that other son as in, like, a male child or yes. other son as in... Oh. Yep, male child, child, the other son, the other male I, offspring. I've never heard of this. I know that once upon a time, long ago on this podcast, I tried referencing uh, the movie The Good Son and I accidentally called it The Other Son. Okay, fair enough. So that was, that's one bit of mention in so the you past. So rec- you, now, recomm- now you're recommending The Other Son. Yes. Is Giamatti the main son? <laughs> <laughs> is is Paul Giamatti's French equivalent the main son? Gu- yeah. Guys, well, we we're like ninety two, ninety three episodes away from the next milestone. Uh, we can't go into it next. La Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> Le G- yeah, I was actually surprised because I, I obviously I remember what this film was. I forgot what language it was in because a big part of it is. Israel and Palestine. So I was like, oh, it was a French film. Ah, interesting. So we'll be watching that next episode. So stay tuned for that. Will, a pleasure as usual to have you on and talking about everybody's favorite schlock actor, Clive Owen. Oh, and Paul Giamatti too. Uh, and as usual, Bartek, 300 plus episodes. I'm very happy we got here. Uh, you know, I never... Th- Never thought necessarily that we wouldn't get here, but it never entered my mind that we would get here. When we sat down with Will all those years ago to watch Big <sighs> Fat Liar and Will told us some interesting facts. Oh, about the semicolon. About the semicolon. I never thought, man, we're going to be here years later with with Will telling us some weirdo things about movies, and mm. here we are. Especially since we rarely like actually keep count. Mm. Like I feel like we go almost a full year before we're like, hey, what number are we up to anyway? Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. So uh, thanks, people, for sticking with us, if you have, or just joining us for this one. There's plenty to look back upon, but... Uh... <laughs> my empire of dirt um, my empire of hurt but uh, that's it from us until next time uh, remember to be kind to each other see you listening people see your guests oops I mean listening people <laughs> fuck me